Welcome to the Victory Life Church podcast. We believe it's important to present an uncomplicated and uncluttered view of Christ and how we should live. We hope this podcast inspires you and helps build your faith. If you ever find yourself in the area, come check us out. For more information on services and events, visit us at vlcministries.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at VLC Plantation. Anybody excited to be in the house of the Lord this morning? If you have your Bibles, we're going to jump right into Hebrews chapter 5. For those of you who are just joining us, we, we've been walking through the book of Hebrews, and man, it's been a, it's been a journey, and it's been eye-opening for, for a lot of us, myself included. I want to go ahead and just jump right in and read a couple of passages, and then I'll pray. If you got your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 5, and I'm going to read in verse 11. And then I'm going to read all the way up to verse 3 of chapter 6. But the scripture says that we have much to say about this. But it is hard to explain because you are no longer trying to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need somebody to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk. Somebody say milk not solid food because anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is one not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness but solid food is for the mature who too who can by with constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil therefore it says in chapter 6 verse 1 let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. Somebody say progress. There's got to be some, some progress in your life. You know, about a few months ago or however long ago it was when the hurricane came through. Anybody, anybody remember that hurricane that came through and kind of wiped out the west coast of Florida? Well, I had a contact over there like many of us did and we partnered with a, a, a church who didn't just need supplies and some of you graciously donated a ton of things and we took two dump trucks over there and we dropped a bunch of stuff over. But the pastor over there said, Jacob, we just need some able men or women who can, have your hand me that right here. This is what they were asking for. We need some able-bodied men and women who can, who can run one of these things and chop down some trees. That's what he said. And I'm like, oh man, I got a brother-in-law who's got like four of these things. So I call him, I say, John, can you, can you show up and, and come to the West Coast with me? I, I asked some of the men in this, in this church, Defonso, Leo, and we were like, man, let's just, let, let's go over there and let's chop down some trees because they're everywhere in the neighborhoods and the church and, and they needed somebody to come over and bring a bunch of chainsaws and, and cut trees down. And so I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll lead it. Let's go, let's, let's sign people up. The problem is, is that I had never run one of these things before. And according to the men that was around me, they said, it's time to put on your big boy pants, Jacob, and it's time to be a man. It's time to put your childish things away and the ways that you used to live and to pick up a, a chainsaw and start cutting trees down. In fact, Aubrey, I got, I got a picture you can throw up there of us cutting some of these, these trees down. I mean, they were everywhere. That's a playground right there. 
And we were just like, we were looking for trees to cut. We were driving around neighborhoods, driving around the city, just looking for trees that had fallen down so we could be men. It's one thing to climb a tree, which I did plenty of as a little boy, but it's a whole nother thing to know how to chop it down if you had to. You see, boys at some point got to become men. Girls at some point got to become women. There's got to be some growth in your life that takes place. Because as we age, things naturally grow. Things that we don't want to grow, grow. But everything else we want to grow, we want to expand, whether it's our bank account, whether it's our family, whether it's our influence. But yet so many believers often neglect the one thing that we should be focusing on growing and that is our spiritual maturity. We forget about that. It's like, I'll grow everything else in my life except when it comes to my faith. And so I wanna take the word immaturity today and I wanna eliminate the first two letters. And I wanna see some progress. I've titled this morning's message, man, this, this is getting really heavy. That's not the title, but this is getting, I'm gonna leave it up here, Javier. I've titled this Growing in Spiritual Maturity. Let's pray one more time. Thank you, Father, for who you are and all that you do. And I pray these next few passages, these next minutes we have to discuss your word, would it change us, would it challenge us, would it grow us? Would it help us move from immaturity to maturity? We love you, and it's in Jesus' name. Everybody said one more time. Amen, amen. I'm going to bring this over here. I'm going to run it a little bit later, so I got some earplugs for you in the back. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. Um, hey, how's everybody feeling? Good? Everybody enjoying the, the hot summer and the, the, the rain in South Florida? No, come on. It's, uh, I mean, it's, it's the best because you wake up and you're so excited about uh, it, it being a beach day and then you get to the beach and then you see the clouds and then it, it there's like a tornado that shows up and and that's just what it that's what it means to live in the great state of paradise down here in South Florida so so Hebrews chapter 5 we have your Bibles anybody got a real Bible today in the house come on show hold it up if you got a real Bible there we go it's good to have a real Bible that you can you can uh, underline you can highlight you can look at if you if you have not been here with us for the past four or five weeks we've been walking through the book of Hebrews let me catch you up to speed now we don't really know the writer we assume it's Paul because of its personality but what we can say is that the Holy Spirit inspired it and so that's all that matters amen and the author is writing to a bunch of of Jewish people who have left Judaism and have now stepped into this newfound faith in the Messiah but as soon as they step into this newfound faith, they're experiencing persecution and there's trials. And they're like, we, we didn't think that this would all happen. And we, we, we were tempted to go back to where, where it was. But the, the writer was saying, you can't go back to Judaism in regards to its practices. You can't go back. One of the ways that you approached God in Judaism was you had to go through a priesthood. And Jesus showed up and he became the great high priest. And it doesn't matter what religion you've been a part of. It doesn't matter what any other person may say or influencer may say. The only way to get to God now is through Jesus. John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. If you look back on verses 9 and 10 of Hebrews chapter 5, Jesus now becomes the source of eternal salvation. You don't have to go through any other priesthood to get to God. All you have to do is go through Jesus now, forever. And the writer wants to expand on some of these things. 
In fact, he goes on to say in verse 10 of Hebrews 5, he says that um, he was designated, talking about Jesus, by God to be the high priest in order of Melchizedek. And if you go to our text in verse 11 of chapter 5, he says, we have much to say about this, but. Somebody say but. He wants to expand on this whole priesthood. He wants to talk about Melchizedek and the heavenly priesthood and how Jesus' priesthood is greater than the Aaron priesthood. In fact, Jesus is better than the prophets. He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than uh, Joshua. He's better than Aaron. He's better than this priesthood. It's important for you to know that. And then I want to bring up somebody by the name of Melchizedek, which is the writer is saying. And I want to expand upon this, but I can't. You know when you're talking to somebody and like 10 minutes go by and you realize that they're not listening anymore? Any wives out there, you can relate, right? You know what I'm talking about? It's like, I know you're not listening to me. And, and th this is what's happening right now with the writer. He's lamenting because after several years of biblical teaching, his audience had not progressed spiritually. He wants to dive into Melchizedek, but he feels that the discussion might be too informational or too instructional. And they're not going to grasp and, and fully understand this in-depth look at Melchizedek, who the people might have heard of, but they don't really know who he is. You might be here today not really knowing who Melchizedek is. You've heard about his name. And he pauses and he calls him out and he says, you just, you're just not getting it because, and I love how the New King James Version puts it, because you're dull of hearing. You're dull of hearing. Now, what does he mean when the writer says that you become dull of hearing? If you become dull, it's not that you are incapable of hearing. It's not that you're in, incapable of understanding, nor is it that you have abandoned the faith. That's why you become dull of, of hearing. No, the writer says you, you've actually just become lazy. You become lazy. It's no longer a matter of your ears. It's a, it's a matter of your heart. That's where the problem is. The problem isn't with the ears. The problem is, is with the heart. But the question is, how did they get there? Because they weren't always there. The, script, the scripture says that they became dull of hearing. They were no longer trying to understand. So at one point, like you and I, maybe when we stepped into the faith, we were all about the things of God. We wanted to know more about God. We were just showing up to church every single day. We were serving on every single team. We wanted to gain all this information. And then at some point, we find ourselves years later, months later, being dull of hearing, not really trying to understand what the Bible says. How did they get here? Well, can I remind you what happened in chapter 2? Chapter 2 says they drifted from the word. Chapter 3 says they doubted the word, and now here we're in chapter 5 and 6, and they no longer want to listen to the word. Well, that's why they got here, because they drifted and they doubted. If I drift from my wife, and then I start doubting my wife, you better believe that I'm not going to do anything she asks. We have become dull of hearing. The, the, his audience, the writer is saying, I want to expand on all these things. In fact, what I'm going to share, and he goes on and talks more about the priesthood in the next couple chapters. He says, what I'm going to share is only for those who are mature in the faith. And in order for me to speak to you at that level of maturity, I've got to get you from here to over here. I've got to get you from climbing trees like a boy to chopping down trees like a man. No offense to those who are tree huggers. We're not just cutting down trees for no reason. We're cutting down trees because they're in the way, okay? So that's where we got to get to. Here's, here's where you are, 
and here's where you need to be. And, and how do we know that, that they have become, they've become, they've drifted, they've, they've doubted because the writer says, you used to be here and you ought to be here. Now here's the danger of, of dullness. Dullness leads to a lack of desire. If something is dull that you have in your hand, it becomes ineffective, it no longer becomes of use to you. And so what do you do? If you got a, a knife that's dull, what do you do? You just chuck it. If, if you have a, a sword, I don't know if anybody has any swords. I know friends that have swords from like, you know, Mordor. Uh, if they got swords and it's dull, then you, you, you don't chuck that, you save that because that's, I mean, that, that, that costs a lot of money. If you have a relationship that becomes dull, what do you usually do if you're young? Well, you ditch them and you find a new relationship. You know, when we were over there in Fort Myers cutting down trees, we were using these things. And do you know what happens if the, this is, there's blades on this chain. You know what happens if the blades on the chain become dull? You think we're going to be cutting down trees? No, not at all. So what happens when the chain blade on the chainsaw becomes dull, you no longer can cut any trees down. You've actually now become ineffective. Let me pause here and just say this. I think we have many believers who are no longer effective because they have no consistency in their relationship with God. None. Man, I show up to church once a month. That's good for me. Man, I read the Bible once a week when I can. I pray when I can, but it's really challenging. And then you expect to rely on that faith muscle that you have not been exercising. All of a sudden, a trial shows up. All, the sh- all of a sudden, a tribulation shows up. All of a sudden, an opportunity to represent the kingdom of God and build the kingdom of God shows up. But you are weak. You're ineffective because you have no consistency in your walk with God. You have no consistency in reading the word of God. You have become dull, therefore you have become ineffective. Now what happens when the word of God becomes dull? Now, it doesn't become ineffective. What happens when it becomes dull to you? Well, remember, dullness leads to a lack of desire. And so if this thing has become dull to me, then I don't want anything to do with it and I have no desire for it. And no wonder why we have people who are not maturing, who are not growing, They're not walking deeper into the truths of God. In fact, 20 years from now, you think that you're gonna be doing great things for the kingdom of God, you might be doing nothing for the kingdom of God because you're still where you're at when you first got saved. It's time, boys and girls, to start acting like adults. And it's time to stop acting like babies. Turn to the person next to you and tell them, stop acting like a baby. Now, babies are cute. In fact, they're not more delightful than when, when I get to hold my, my one-year-old and she falls asleep in my arms. Man, it is, it is so incredible. Until she poops and then it smells. And then immediately I'm like, Cheryl, can you help me, you know? Call the Savior. Uh, but babies are amazing and they're awesome and, and we love babies. But a mature believer acting like a baby is not something that we should love. In fact, it's, it's like irritating when you, when you see a, a grown adult acting like a baby. And you want to get up there and, and, and slap him in the face. You know, sometimes I want to go grab, we have little Mr. Sadface. It's the paddle that we have at our house that we, that we discipline our kids in love. Because uh, you spare the rod, you spoil the child. And so we, we have Mr. Sadface that we use to discipline them. And sometimes I want to grab Mr. Sadface and, and smack a couple adults. And you probably say the same thing about me, okay? So I'm not calling you out. 
But it's time to stop acting like babies. Now, maybe you've heard the term baby Christian, baby believer. And it's okay if you have a baby believer who's young in the faith because they're new in the faith. They show up to church on a Sunday. They repent of their sins. They step into a relationship with God. They would be called the baby believer. Now, not everything is going to maybe radically change in their life. They're not going to understand it fully. I remember I had one guy come up to church. The pastor was preaching. We're up here praying. And he walks up to church. And he said, Pastor, I got saved last week. And we're celebrating. And he said, and I'm bleeping. He cussed right there. He said, I'm bleeping excited about it. And then he says, that was a bleeping incredible speech you just gave on the stage. That's what he said. And we're like praying for people. We're like, dude, shh, shh, shh. A baby believer. He's all about the things of God now, but there's got to be some growth in him. There's got to be some change in him, right? In fact, this past week for VBS, I told you we, on the, on the last night, we did an, an altar call. And again, I got to give a shout out to all of our volunteers, incredible adults who are serving and working. And, and uh, there's this, this one boy named Seth, and Seth was hanging with me, and, and Seth was up in the, uh, the sound booth with me. He was running lights, and and Seth, you know, doesn't live around here. He just came. He's visiting some family and friends. And, and, and Seth's like, man, this is so cool. And he's like doing all this stuff with the lights. He's empowered. And he's, is he 12 years old, Joe and Janice, or is he 11? He's 11 years old. And, but, but you would think the kid's 15. Brilliant. And he's up there learning things. He's touching buttons. And I'm like, man, Seth, can we hire you to serve at church for free next Sunday? You know? <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, so I'm, I'm up here and I said, Seth, hey, you're going to stay here. I'm going to come up on the stage and I'm going I'm to present the gospel and then um, just make sure the, you know, you do the lights and the music and stuff. And so, so I, I, I present this invitation for, for the kids who are here who are five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And, you know, I talk about Jesus and what he did for them and what he wants for them and how he wants to come into to their, to their life. And, and I present this altar call, and I count to three, and, and tw- about, like I said, 20 or so kids come up on this stage. Now, I don't want to get into the, to the theology of whether they're saved or not, whether they mentored or not. I, I, listen, if you have young kids, every day give them an opportunity to receive Jesus. Talk about, the, talk about Jesus. My, my son who's five, he's like, I want Jesus into my heart. And so, okay, let's pray that Jesus is in your heart. We just keep praying. At some point, he'll understand. But don't ever... Don't ever miss out on an opportunity to present the gospel to kids who are young. And so about 20 of them showed up, and I'm sitting here on, on, on the ground, and I'm praying with them. And, and some of the kids are, you know, shouting what I'm saying. Some of them are just talking. Some of them maybe, maybe came up because they're friends. But I'm sitting there, and my back's against the crowd, and I'm looking at all these kids. And I want you to put that picture up there, Aubrey, because I'm sitting there. And you see that kid in the red? That's Seth. Seth's not a, not a kid. He's a volunteer. He's serving. Seth's helping us make this possible so kids could come to know Jesus. And here I am sitting on this stage and Seth shows up, 11 years old. And I pray and I sense God's doing something in them and he, he runs back to the booth to get back on the lights because Pastor Jacob told him to get to the lights. So he, he gets back to the lights and I go back there and he's, he's sobbing, he's weeping. And I said, Seth, what's going on? And he turned to me, he turns to me and he said, Jacob, this has been the greatest week of my life. And I said, let, you came to the front, let, let's talk. And so we sat in the back and I sit there and I, I talked to him. I said, why did you come up? 11 years old. He said, I'm so guilty of all of my sin. He said, I need Jesus into my life. 
And so right then we prayed and, and I said, Seth, you need, you need got to get a Bible. Do you have a Bible? He said, no, I don't have a Bible. And so I, I, I asked Sean, I was like, Sean, dude, go get this kid a Bible. And so Sean takes him to the back. We get him this Bible. And then we're all cleaning up at this point, moving chairs. And I see Seth with his Bible. And I tell you, it was like a movie scene. He just walks right through the crowd and he comes to the front and he sits on the stage and he opens up to Genesis chapter one. And he starts reading the Bible. Now, I share that because Seth's going back home to his family. Seth doesn't have us. He's not going to have this church. But I pray that he has somebody over there that can help him. Because you remember when you got saved. I was eight years old. And if I didn't have a church, if I didn't have a family, if I didn't have this book, if I didn't understand things, then I would have I probably fallen right back into who I was. And so I thank God for the church who came alongside me. I thank God for those who are around Seth and Sean who showed up to give him a Bible. And I pray that as he steps into this journey, which by the way, he's going to find hardship. He's going to experience persecution. He's not gonna be accepted and he's gonna make mistakes. And just like the guy who showed up who cussed, Sam may say some, or Seth may say some things he doesn't wanna say. He may do some things that he doesn't wanna do, but that's okay. He's a baby believer and he's gonna grow out of that, Amen. But I hope Seth's not 30 years old doing the same thing, saying the same things. Open it up to Genesis chapter one, still trying to get through chapter one. I hope he's maybe read the Bible. I hope he's, he's discovered deeper truths of God. Like us all, we all should be growing. And so I, I use him as an example because that's a, he's a baby believer and that's okay. But the writer of Hebrews isn't addressing baby believers who are new in the faith. The writer's been preaching to these to these Jewish people who have stepped into this newfound faith for several years. And he says, I want to dive deeper into these things, but I can't because you're immature. I can't give you any solid food. I have to give you milk. You're still an infant in Christianity. You're still an infant when it comes to the things of God. Your life is unstable. You are spiritually asleep and you're fussing about things that do not matter. And so I've got to get you to move on. I've got to see some progress in your life. How do we know again that they weren't maturing? Well, look at verse 12, Hebrews chapter five. He says, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, here's where you are, but here's where you should be by this point. You need somebody to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Now, there's two ways that we can identify whether or not we are maturing spiritually. There's two questions we can ask. Number one, are we sharing what we're learning? And number two, are we on a baby diet? So let's, let's dive into this. Question number one, how do you know if you're spiritually maturing? Maybe you're asking the question like I am. God, how do I know if I'm spiritually progressing in my walk? I know I'm advancing in my studies at school. I know my relationship at home is getting better. I'm becoming a better parent. My investments are looking decent. But how do I know if my investment to the kingdom of God and, and me being a believer, how do I know if that's growing? Well, question number one, do you know how to share what you're being taught? Do you know how to share? I'm not asking you to get up on the stage, grab a mic, and come up here and preach. Not everybody has that spiritual gift. But if you attend our growth track, we, we dive into what 1 Peter says, that we are all a royal priesthood, and we have all been given an assignment to teach the word of God, to share about the things of God. And so if you want to know if you're maturing in your faith, well, are you teaching what you are learning, or are you simply just learning? 
Do I have any chefs out there? Anybody that likes to cook? All right, maybe you think you're a great cook. But we find out and discover that you only cook for yourself. But you're an expert at cooking. You want to know if you're a really good cook? You want to know if you're progressing in your cooking abilities? Well, invite me over, and I'll come over to your house, and I'll bring my kids. And then you will cook for us. <laughs> you will cook for us. That's, that sounds a little authoritative. You can cook for us. And I will sample your food. And if I don't like it, I won't tell you, but I'll spit it out. And I'll, and I'll act like I enjoy it. No, I'll be honest with you. Invite some friends and family over. Cook for them. Because how can you be an expert at something that you have never taught? If you want to grow in something, well, you have to ask the question, can I now teach it? So that's question number one. Here's where you should be to the Hebrew believers. You should be teaching, but now you still are sitting and you're still just learning. You got to be teaching. If you want to be an expert in it, you got to teach it. Question number two, how do we know if we're not growing in our faith? Well, let's look at your diet. Are you still on a baby diet? Are you still eating baby food? Or have you matured and have you moved on to the solid food? Now, Paul addresses this in the church of Corinth. He speaks into, to basically a bunch of believers who are fussing over meaningless things. And they're causing division in the church. And Paul's like, well, what are we doing as believers? We're yapping about that. We're yapping about this. We're stirring up drama. A lot of gossip's going on. He said, what are you, what are you doing? And so Paul is wanting to deliver something. He says, I, and this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2. He says, I want to give you solid food, but I have to give you milk. Not because this is what you want. He says, because you're not what? You're not ready for it. Indeed, you still are not ready for it. Man, I'd love to cook up a good steak for you. In fact, man, I love steak. And when I get it, I get it medium rare, bleeding, still mooing, and that's how I want it. But my kids can't eat that. My kids would choke. They'll be chewing on that for an hour. One day my boys could eat steak and they will eat steak unless they're, they're vegan and then I will disown them and kick them out of the house. But at some point, no, no offense to those who are vegan, that's your lifestyle, okay? Don't infringe on my lifestyle. But at some point, maybe that's what they want to do and that's, that's what they'll be able to do, but it's going to come with some age. It's going to come with maturity. I wish I could give you solid food, Paul says, but I can't. And so I get to, I get to bring you back to the basics, I got to bring you back to the ABCs. I got to bring you back to the one, two, three. Because you're not ready for this. In fact, this is what the writer of Hebrews is saying. You're not ready for this breakdown, this in-depth look of this heavenly priesthood that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to you about. We talked about it in chapter five in the beginning about Jesus being the high priest, but he's going to go into greater detail about Melchizedek and the, and, and the great high priest and this eternal priesthood, but I can't. I want to give you that, but I have to stop. And I got I to gotta bring you back to one, two, three, to ABC, because, because you're not growing. You're not maturing. And it's time, it's time to mature. Can you teach it, number one? And are you on a solid food diet? And here's the problem. Look at verse 13. Hebrews 5, verse 13 says, Anybody who lives on milk, being still an infant, is one, they're not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. And two, look at the second part of verse 14. They, they have not been trained to distinguish good or evil. And so 
And so because I'm not on solid food, I'm not a mature, I have no ability to distinguish good from evil. Now, a few things I want to point out here. Drinking from the bottle is not bad, right? I think about Seth. Seth's going to be drinking from the bottle. He's 11 years old. He's a new believer. He's going to drink from the bottle. First Peter says, in fact, newborn babies crave that type of milk. But at some point, you got to drop the bottle and you got to pick up a knife and a fork and you got to get a plate and you got to start eating differently. For those who have kids, you know the stages that you go through. You start off with the milk from the mother and then you get to the baby food, which is disgusting. I don't know how they eat that stuff. And then they move on to a little bit more solid food, which is cut up. And then eventually they can get to something that's more solid and that's, that's greater. But, but there's progress that's got to be made. You can't start the opposite way. Could you imagine? You know, handing your, hand your one-year-old like a full glass of like Gatorade or something like that or, or water even. I've done it before. I've handed my kids and they think it's a bottle and then they dump it all over themselves because they're not ready for it. They haven't exercised that type of muscle. And so here's the problem. One, we're not acquainted with a teaching about righteousness. And two, we will not be able to distinguish good from evil. Now, I want to dive into this a little bit deeper because the writer isn't talking about things that are morally wrong or rights. The writer's actually diving into theology here. He's diving into some doctrine. What's doctrinally right or wrong? Do you know, as a believer, as you mature in the faith, you will have what's called spiritual discernment. Babies don't have discernment. Younger kids don't have discernment. Sometimes we don't act like we should with discernment. But as you grow in the faith, as you age, you are to put on what's called spiritual discernment. Babies don't have it. They're not able to discern what is wrong and what is right. They will do anything that is wrong. They will do everything that is not right. I heard my, my one-year-old who was quiet for a couple minutes. And if you have kids, when they're quiet, that's when you know evil is about to take place. And so I go over to my one-year-old. Her name is Blakely. She's sitting there, and, she, and I look at her, and it looks like she's got something in her mouth. And I open up her mouth, and she's got like four little pieces of crayon all shoved in her mouth. Now, we have no more crayons at our house, by the way. We don't even have little Legos at our house. Because, you know, if you have little children, they'll just put anything in their mouth. Because they can't discern what is right or what's wrong. At that point, they can't discern what's food and what's not food. You know, we have Christians who have no discernment on what they put inside of them. They don't even care. They just believe anything. Oh, did you hear what so-and-so said? Oh, did you hear what this preacher said? Oh, did you hear what this book said? They have no spiritual discernment, and they're acting like a baby. They'll grab anything, and they'll put it inside of them. They can't discern what is right or what's wrong. Do you have spiritual discernment, church? Because can I tell you that this is not going to get better for us as believers? Where we're living. It's, it's not like all of a sudden, you know, things are going to be great and then the church and Christianity is going to start winning. Sure, we have battles here and there. And sure, we have victories here and there. But as a whole, we know where we're ending up. We know what this world is going to look like. And so we have to make sure that we are believers who have not just spiritual discernment, but have some courage and boldness to take some stances. Because we got a lot who can't take any stances because they don't have a backbone. 
because they don't have any courage. They don't have any wisdom that comes from this book. And so how you expect to, to make a stance on something that you don't even really believe? And now you're persuaded like a child who says, no, I want to do this. No, I like that. No, I believe this. No, I believe that. My kids want to marry their sister. They're three. And they, want, they think my wife is going to be Blakely. I'm like, that's your sister. Or they say my wife is going to be mommy. You're a kid. I expect that from a kid, but from a grown adult who doesn't have a backbone because they don't know this word. They haven't, dived, they haven't um, uh, you know, dove deeper into this word. And then you expect to make a stance. Then you expect to be able to stand strong and have some courage and have some faith. Church, as long as heaven and hell are reality, we will teach the truth and we're gonna digest it and we're gonna take it in and we're gonna live like it, amen? amen. As long as heaven and hell are reality, we're gonna preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're gonna tell people, listen, you can come as you are to this church. Come as you are. You stink, that's fine, come. You smell, that's fine. You look like that, that's fine. You got a lot of sin, that's fine. Oh, you do that, come right on in. We'll give you a front row seat. But I tell you, when you get in that front row seat and Jesus shows up and changes you, everything about you will change. Come as you are and then watch God change everything about you. But we don't want to preach that. Come as you are and stay the same way for as long as you like. If you come as you are, and we're not preaching any truth. You might just feel really comfortable, but we don't want you to feel comfortable. We want you to be changed by the Holy Spirit that is dwelling and living inside of you and compelling you to do greater things for the kingdom of God. But greater things are going to happen in here. He says in verse 1 of chapter 6, again, he, he has this call to, to mature, this call to move from being babies to being grown adults. He says, so let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ. And let us be taken forward to maturity. Sounds like a, like a presidential speech right here. Therefore, let us move beyond, you know. Let us move forward. Not laying again the foundation. And he goes on to list six things right here. Listen. He says, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death. Number two, faith in God. Number three, instruction about baptisms, or a better translation would be cleansing rites. Number four, laying on of the hands. Number five, the resurrection of the dead. And number six, eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. The, the writer's pleading that it's time, to, it's time to move on. Move on from what? Move on from these things that he just lists. Now, what does he just list? Well, he lists six things that are considered elementary truths. These are foundational truths, right? We, in order to grow on anything, we have to have a foundation, and so here the writer presents six things, repentance, faith, cleansing rites, laying on of the hands, resurrection of the dead, or eternal judgment. But why these six things? What's so essential about these six things right here? Are these the six essential doctrines of the faith? It doesn't say anything about Jesus. It doesn't say anything about salvation. What's very foundational about this list? Well, it's important for us as the audience to understand who the audience was in this book. Remember, they were Jewish people who have abandoned Judaism in regards to the practices, and they've stepped into this newfound faith in the Messiah. But these six things were not just things that Christians were building upon, but they were actually the things that the Jewish people were building upon. It, it was the groundwork. And Christ didn't, didn't come to throw away that groundwork. In fact, Christianity would come out of that groundwork. Christianity would come out of Judaism at the same time being the fulfillment of it. And so, yeah, it's common ground for the Jewish people, 
But he says, these six things you get, you know, and they're comfortable and, and you like them a lot. But the danger is you're just going back to those things. Let me give you an example. I don't live with my parents anymore. Thank God I don't live with my parents anymore. Right? Anybody thankful for that? I love my parents. But I, I'm living on my own. Well, I have a wife and I have three kids. But because I don't live with my parents anymore, guess what? I had to, I had to buy a house. And I had to pay a mortgage. And then there's something called homeowner's insurance that I had no idea about. And then, I guess, it, it all went up this year. And so now I'm paying crazy amounts of money for homeowner's insurance. Then I got bills, then I got, you know, electricity and water. I didn't, you know, when I was renting, I didn't have a water bill or electricity bill, and that was awesome. Man, praise God for some amazing tenants. But now that I'm on my own, I have responsibilities. Do you know when times are tough, it'd be really easy for me to call mom and dad and say, hey, mom, can we move in with you guys for a few months? Can, can we sell our house and just live with you guys for a couple years because... I don't really want to, you know, have to worry about all these bills. Now, my wife would say, absolutely not. But that's part of being a grown adult, right? That's part of getting to raise your kids who are becoming teenagers. You get to teach them about, you know, saving money. You get to teach them about tithing. Oh, man, I can't wait for my kids to start making money. I cannot wait because I'm going to take it right back and I'm going to send it right back to the church, which helps pay for my salary, you know? So it's like, it's just like a full circle right there. Part of what you give helps my dad and I, helps our team, helps our staff, helps us do things for the kingdom of God. But I can't wait to teach my kids about tithing. We're going to get into that when we talk about Melchizedek. Oh, man, it's going to be so good because the tithe to Melchizedek isn't a curse, but it's a blessing. And it's going to be so good. And I can't wait to teach my kids at a young age that when they make money, part of it you should save and part of it goes to God. Well, my dad told me that. I'm like, uh-uh, it's all mine. And then he took it from me and he said, no, it's all mine now. But I can't wait to start diving into things with my kids. Just as you as a parent, just as you as a boss, you get to train people to grow, not just in their faith, but to grow in their skill sets, to grow in their understanding that this world is evil, that you can't trust everybody. And you got to know, you got to know how to survive. And the writer of Hebrews is like, you guys aren't getting it. You're not getting it because it'd be really easy for you just to go right back to the things that you were once doing. It'd be really easy for you to go right back to living at mom and dad's house. It'd be really easy for you to go back to the elementary truths because, and, and here's why, because they wanted to avoid persecution. That's why. I, I, I want to avoid the IRS. So I, you know, I could go back to mom and dad's. They wanted to avoid persecution. And so the writer says, you can't go back to these. These are essential. These are foundational. Somebody say, move on. But you got to move on. Let's talk about repentance and faith and washings and resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Those are great things. And if we just stick to those things, the audience thinks that they'll avoid persecution. Let's just go back to being religious. But can I remind you that Jesus did not preach religion. He preached radical living. He didn't tell you to be religious. He told you to live radically for him. So we can't go back to being religious, church. We've got to go and move forward to radically living. We must move from the basics. We must mature. We have got to grow up. We can't just keep, as boys and girls, climbing trees. We have to know when it is time to cut them down. We've got to grow. We have to move on. Now, these next few verses in chapter 6, starting in verse 4, 
are some of the most challenging scriptures to understand. Some of the most misinterpreted and misapplied passages. In fact, these next few verses have often been called some of the devil's favorite passages. And so I've asked my dad to preach on that next week. But I want, I want to paint this picture because if, if we're moving from spiritual maturity or immaturity and we're moving to spiritual maturity, we've got to have some discernment or else we will fall right back into the things that we used to be in. We'll fall right back into that. You don't want your kids doing those things again. You don't want yourself doing those things again. So how can we put on eyes like, like, like Jesus's? How can we put on ears like Jesus? How can we put on a, a sense or, or, or an awareness of Jesus? and start living like adults in a time where everything is falling and failing. Do you know Paul is addressing Timothy, and I'll conclude with this. In 2 Timothy, he paints this picture, and he says, can I just tell you what it's gonna be like in the days to come, in the last days? You know, I think many of us would agree we're we're living in, in those last days. We're seeing what's happening in our schools. We're seeing what's happening in our community, in our government. We're watching it. We're seeing it. And Paul says to Timothy, he says, you got to be very careful because the last days are going to be brutal. And he says a few things out of 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says, uh, there, there are going to be people who will be lovers of themselves. They will be all about pride. And this is what the scripture says. They will worm their way into your homes to control your homes. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like what's taking place right now. People who are lovers of themselves, lovers of greed, lovers of money, lovers of status, lovers of power, lovers of pride. They will worm their way into your house and they will control. And I want you to know what it says. It doesn't say that it'll control the men. It says that it'll control the women. Because I think we have a lot of women who are running our households. And the enemy isn't worried about the men who are weak. He's worried about the women who are strong. I thank God for strong women. But I'm wondering where the strong men are that the enemy's not worried about. And so the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3 that they're gonna worm their way into your homes and they're going to control what you do. But then he says in verse 9, something very interesting. 2 Timothy 3, verse 9. He says, but you will not be fooled by their folly, by their foolishness, because you'll be able to call it out. You'll be able to see what it really is. Now, who is Paul talking to? He's talking to the to Timothy and all the believers under Timothy. That's who he's talking to. He's talking to mature believers who are not weak in the faith, who are not drinking from the bottle, but who are eating solid food and diving deeper into the truths of God. And so maybe today this is an encouragement to you because you, like many of us, man, we can see foolishness for what it is. We can call it out. And I'm grateful for the discernment that I have. You're grateful for the discernment that you have because you can call it out because you know it. You know what the Bible says, but I fear those who don't. I fear for those who have no spiritual discernment, who have maybe accepted Jesus Christ as their personal savior, but he has not been Lord of their life. 
and they, they have not been following the things of God. They, they, you know, they're, they're more interested in just hanging out, having a good time. They're more interested about making money. And they've got kids, but they'll send them to private school because the school will teach them about God. They got kids, but they'll send them to Sunday school because church will teach them about God. And I don't need to worry about that. You have no backbone. You have no biblical knowledge. You haven't, you're not diving deeper into anything of the, of the word of God. And, and now you expect in, in the last days and days to come for you to be a spiritual leader, a spiritual discerner. Can you teach it? And what kind of diet are you on? Can you teach the word of God? And are you diving into deep truths of God? You want to separate yourself from everybody else? Start teaching it. Start growing in your faith. Start reading it. Start diving deeper. This whole thing, like, man, I, I go to church once, once a month. I read my Bible maybe once a week. I pray maybe when I can, and I'm good, and God will use me. Or God will be looking for somebody else to use because you're going to fall right back into the trap that everybody else is in. But be encouraged for those who are. Be encouraged if you got God and you've been diving and you've been teaching and you know the word of God and you, you can see the foolishness that's being presented around us. I thank God for those people who are in this church. We got some spiritual eyes. I got some spiritual ears. We're raising good kids. And we're gonna see the fruit of that in the years to come, amen? Hey, would you stand to your feet? I wanna pray for you this morning. I wanna pray for those that maybe you're here today and you don't know who Jesus is and maybe you're watching it online and you're saying, Jacob, man, I just, I don't have a relationship with God. I don't really know who you're talking about and I'd love to step into this a little bit deeper. Well, I wanna pray with you. In fact, if that's you right now and you're listening to me, you're watching online and you're saying, that's me, I don't know who Jesus is. Real, real quick, he loves you. He has a plan for you. It doesn't matter how far away you are from God. You could be a million steps away from God. It's only one step back to him. Many of us in this room have made that decision to repent of our sins and, and make Jesus our savior. The Bible says if you believe in your heart that God raised his son from the dead and you confess with your mouth that he is Lord, you will be saved. Just like Seth, 11 years old, who heard this message Friday night, who said, I am a sinful man and I need to repent of my sins. And he came forward and he said, I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. If that's you, can I pray for you right now? Would you close your eyes? Would you bow your heads? I wanna pray a prayer. I would like for you to repeat it after me. And it's not some magical prayer that saves you, but it's this moment right here where you are deciding to obey, to turn from your wicked ways and to accept God. Church, would you repeat this prayer? Say, Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sin. Make me a new creation. Cleanse me today. I am your child. You are my father. Today, you are my savior. Make me new. Come on, make me new. In Jesus' name, everybody said, can we put our hands together for those who made that decision? The greatest decision of your life. In fact, if you prayed that prayer, there's a connect card in the seat in front of you. Would you grab it? Would you fill it out? Would you select, say, hey, I decided to give my life to Jesus. If you're watching online, let us know. I decided to give my life to Jesus. We want to put something in your hand. We want to pray with you. In fact, I want to invite some of our prayer partners up to the front right now. And I've asked the team to lead us in, in a song. And here's what I want to pray for specifically for everybody in this room right now. If you're here and you're saying, you know what? I could use some spiritual discernment. I could use some spiritual discernment. 
then we want to lay hands on you and pray for you. It may not be anything specific. You don't got to let us know. You can let us know. We want to pray for you. If you have a big uh, decision to make coming up soon, you got trials in your life, you got bills that got to be paid, and you're not sure how it's going to happen, and you need some spiritual eyes to see, like God is asking you to see, let us pray for you. As the team leads, don't wait for us to dismiss. As the team leads, I want to invite you to worship. You want to sit. You need to kneel. You need to stand. You need to lift your hands. But if you need prayer today for spiritual discernment, would you come forward, kneel at the altar, and let's begin to ask God, God, would you give us eyes to see like you? Give us ears to hear like you. I want to walk only where you tell me to walk. I want to say only what you tell me to say. Holy Spirit, would you give me spiritual discernment? I want to mature in my faith. I want to mature in my walk. And I want spiritual discernment. Come on all across this room if that's what you want. Open up your hands. Would you begin to ask for it? Come to the front if you want. We'll pray for you. Begin to ask for it. God, oh, you are great. You are good. You are worthy, Jesus. We worship you. You're worthy of our praise. We praise you. You're in this room. This is holy ground. You are holy. You are here. Therefore, this is holy ground. In the name above all of the names, we worship you. We worship you, Jesus. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If this has blessed you, would you consider giving a financial gift to help bring this message to more people? You can do that at vlcministries.com slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Here's what we believe. Living God's way, everywhere, every way, every day. We love you and God bless.